Hi, you're listening to Earth Matters, bringing you environment and social justice stories. Today's show, The Vanishing River, Voices from the Darling, was produced in the Baikinji Nation by Earthling Studios and is broadcast by 3CR in Nam, Melbourne and around this country by the Community Radio Network. I do pay my respects to elders past and present and emerging who may be listening. I'm Beck Horridge. In late October 2018, the Australian Earth Laws Alliance convened an international symposium discussing the effects of industrial-scale agriculture on natural systems and human communities. Three days of lectures and presentations were given by eminent environmental law specialists from around the world. The symposium was held to explore possibilities for protecting nature through law and rights of nature legislation. On October 27th, at the final session of the symposium, Sarah Moles gave evidence to the Australian People's Tribunal in the Banco Court Supreme Court building in Brisbane. Her presentation gave the Australian People's Tribunal and all of us an overview of the Darling River and the Menindee Lakes as she has seen it over 15 years of close observation and study. I'm Sarah Moles. I'm from Warwick on the Darling Downs and I've been involved in community-based natural resource management, particularly in the Murray-Darling Basin, for about 25 years. Can you tell us from your perspective about the impacts of irrigation on the Darling and its communities? Thank you, yes. Before I begin, can I pay my respects and acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on whose lands we meet on today and acknowledge that these lands were never ceded and also to the traditional owners of the Darling Basin because I've learned a fantastic amount from them. A quick orientation. Fran kindly showed us a map of the whole of the Murray-Darling Basin. The Darling part of the basin is about two-thirds. I'd like to think of it as our Darling Murray rather than the Murray-Darling. You can see, as Fran mentioned, this is what Fran and other experts refer to as a flood pulse river. It's Australia's longest river. It's the quintessentially Australian river, and it's certainly our most iconic. Along the edge of the Darling Basin, the eastern edge, we have a large number of government-owned and built irrigation storages, most of them hold the equivalent of many hundreds of thousands of Olympic swimming pools worth of water. But the Darling Basin is a little bit different to the Murray insofar as it also has seen massive investment in privately owned on-farm storages, as um, Fred and Fran were alluding to. Could I have the next slide, please? I took these photos on a flight from Brisbane down to Melbourne and you can see this is, I'm not quite sure which catchment, probably the Guida and the Namoy valleys. And just some examples of the extent and expanse of the private take of water and pumping into privately owned storages. This is the middle reaches of the river. There are certainly lots of little dams, little tiny stock dams further up in the headwaters. But as you move down each one of these valleys, it seems to me that those storages get bigger and bigger until you get to places like Cubby Station, which has one storage that holds 70,000 megalitres, 70,000 Olympic swimming pools worth of water. It's a staggering amount. And those dams were originally built, these private dams were originally built so that farmers could harvest water out of the rivers when the river came up to a particular height. 
And then there was a loophole in the legislation in both states and those sort of dams started to be built so that water could be harvested as it was moving across the floodplain because water outside of the bed and banks of a river was not covered by the legislation. And so the rivers took a double hit. And it's important to understand this in the context of the Flood Pulse River because all the life that lives in and along the river has evolved to cope to live and to thrive with a particular range of pulses. And as we've extracted water for our own selfish uses, that pulse has changed. It's been diminished massively. To a great extent, in the absence of laws to regulate the taking of overland flow water, there was just uncontrolled expansion, a bit like the uncontrolled knocking down of native vegetation that Martin Taylor told us about this morning in the lead up to the introduction of laws covering native vegetation clearing. And this is the result. This is the Darling River near Tilpa, taken by my friend um, Julie McClure, who's a grazier on the Darling. That was taken just a few weeks ago, really, not so long after a coordinated release of water from one dam in New South Wales and one dam in Queensland to back up onto a flow, a natural event that was coming out of Queensland to make sure that enough water could be pushed down the river to save a whole lot of grazing businesses and to save a whole lot of communities from completely running out of water. It's pretty hard to imagine that this is the major artery of New South Wales. This is what keeps that country alive. And once upon a time, there was a thriving paddleboat industry that chuffed up and down here, carrying the wool clip from vast stations all over western New South Wales and southwestern Queensland. Could I have the next slide, please? This is another result. This photo was taken below Menindee Lakes. Um, this gentleman lives on a property called Avenue between Menindee and Wentworth, which is where the, the Darling River joins the Murray. Uh, you can't actually see it terribly well in this light, but that water is green slime. This is supposed to be stock and domestic water, but it is toxic most of the time. You can't drink it, you can't swim in it, you can't fish, you can't let your animals into it. It is that foul. I've seen signs on every single river valley in the northern basin with cute little graphics warning you about contacting that water. And if that isn't a damning indictment of what whitefellow management has done to the Darling River, then I have no idea what is. Um, Wilcannia is about halfway down the Darling River. It's overwhelmingly an Aboriginal town and it's a large community of Barkindji people. The Barkindji have, like Aboriginal people everywhere in Australia, a deep connection to their country, and they have specific obligations to look after the river. Because of its geographic location on the Darling and below where all the northern tributaries join the Darling, the main trunk, Wilcannia wears the impacts of all the development upstream. And the point I want you to take away from this is that the decrease in reliability of water in Wilcannia. 74, 74 years of flows from 1920 until 1994. And the grey colour, the 22 years since 1995 when the cap on diversions from the Murray-Darling Basin was introduced. The reliability of water in Wilcannia has declined by 22%. 
That is an enormous drop in reliability. It's no wonder that the river is green slime and that people can't swim in it, fish in it, play with their dogs in it. I'm not surprised that Aboriginal people are angry and depressed. I'm angry and I'm not, a, I'm not someone that can speak for country or anything like that. I have, can barely imagine the grief that Aboriginal people must feel faced with that and knowing that it is absolutely impossible for them to pass on their culture to the current generation. Culture is dying for want of water. And from where I'm standing, I don't think genocide is too tame a word. I'm aware that a couple of well-connected white fellas, politically well-connected and very well-connected business-wise, made representations to a certain New South Wales government minister and had the water-sharing plan for the Bowen Darling changed in their favour. Two or three people did that. I'm not sure what the population of Wilcannia is, but they have been crying about the state of their river for a very long time, and those cries have been falling on deaf ears. I personally do not believe that that would have been the case if Wilcannia was a predominantly white community. One of the things that I think is so tragic about the impending loss of Indigenous culture is that encoded in your law, Fred, is a whole lot of ecological wisdom that holds the keys to how we live sustainably, how we manage our rivers in a sustainable way that will give everybody a reasonable quality of life, that will share the pain and the plenty, the burden and the bounty. And that's just right out of order, something like that. Can I have the next slide, please? It's about uh, 15, 18 months now since Four Corners aired the episode called Pumped that blew the lid off corruption in the Murray-Darling Basin um, and the illegal taking of water, the lack of compliance, particularly by the New South Wales government. Frankly, tip of the iceberg, I'm watching this space with bated breath because I know that there is more to come and I can't wait for a very bright light and a very, very forensic examination to be made of exactly what has gone on. So what we've seen, in my opinion, is a massive failure of public policy. And the response from the New South Wales Government and the Murray-Darling Basin Authority is to fix it with an engineering solution. Now, it has been in the media, but not a lot of people seem to be aware of it. But there is a pipeline just about completed, a half-billion-dollar project from Wentworth on the Murray to pipe water to Broken Hill, which used to get its water supply from the Menindee Lakes. The people of the Menindee area, particularly the Barkindji people, do not want this pipeline. The people of Broken Hill don't want this pipeline. They're deeply suspicious of the motivations behind it. They are aware that uh, when the business case was put out to be reviewed by a major consulting firm, they found the business case to be extremely thin, wanting in a whole lot of detail and information. And by the way, where is the environmental impact statement? There are hopefully soon to be exposed reasons why this project is being rammed through, but part of it seems to be that we don't have to give any more water to the, to the Darling River because we can just pipe water up there and just let's forget about the fact that Menindee is not only one of the most important 
fish breeding sites in the entire Murray-Darling Basin. It also has enormous uh, spiritual and cultural significance to Indigenous communities. To finish, I would like to tender a piece of evidence to the panel. Fred, I was amused to uh, hear you mention a poem from Uncle Bill Riley called The Dying Darling. About 12 years ago, I travelled through the, through the Darling Basin and interviewed many people and wrote a book called The Dying Darling, um, which I think neatly sums up opinions of what's gone wrong and why. And the thing that depresses me more than anything about having written this book is how much worse it is today. That's Sarah Moles at the Australian Earth Laws Alliance Symposium in October 2018. You're listening to Earth Matters, environment and social justice stories on the Community Radio Network. This is Bunda out in the field reporting. I'm on the banks of the Darling River in Wentworth and I'm speaking with Catherine Milne. G'day Bunda. How are you? Good. How do you see... The Darling River today in 2018. The Darling, everywhere I've been, has been a little puddle in a big patch of sand. It's a empty waterway and she's dying. The water that you've seen, Catherine, has that been little putrid pools of blue-green algae? The water I've seen has been stagnant, um, very small amounts of water, if any. And actually when I was in Wilcannia last month for the um, protest rally, there was a kangaroo that hopped down into the water, had a drink and had to be put out of its misery a day later because the water was toxic. That was still floating there when I was there last week along yep. with the pelican. Yeah. How was the protest in Wilcannia? It was amazing. The community there was so passionate about their river. Every man and their dog rocked up. Everybody wanted to be involved. And I have never heard screaming like that from the lungs of local people. There was a lot of children there too. They were leading it, weren't they? The future leaders of the town, the young kids. What do we want? What do we got? What do we want? What do we want? What do we want? There's a lot of concern um, in the younger generations of Australians. I can say everybody I've spoken to is very concerned about their future on this land and their access to water. Um, we don't know if we are going to see 
healthy rivers and environments. When we're in our middle age and when we have children, we don't know what's going to be left by industry on this beautiful land. We don't know if we're going to have access to clean water. We don't know if cod and yellow belly perch are going to be present in our waterways. Um, a lot of us, millennials, Gen Y, and younger generations are going to need to deal with the problems left over by out-of-touch bureaucrats and industry men, the decision-makers of our day, who obviously have no care factor for the people, no care factor for the land, and no care factor for the rivers. These things are being trashed. These human rights and these rights to a healthy environment are not are not political priorities. We're seeing the outcomes now. These industries wave a bit of money under the nose of our politicians and suddenly we don't have water. Suddenly we don't have animals. We don't have native Australian flora and fauna. And this stuff took millennia to evolve, took millions of years to evolve. How do we buy that back once it's gone? We can't. Who's going to return it to us? That's a very good question. And as a young Aboriginal woman... How does that make you feel knowing that there might not be the traditional plants for medicine or you might not be able to teach your children when you have them how to fish, how to catch yabbies? Um, how does that affect you, Catherine? As a human being living on this planet, I'm deeply disappointed that priority has gone to money and to a group of greedy men, a few greedy men, and that that has been prioritised over any culture on our planet and that water is now being fought over by the people here. How can you compare the difference between growing up on the river and what it's like now in 2018? I grew up on the Murray River in Nangelok, which is just outside of Mildura. And we would be down the river every day. It was amazing, every day of summer. And we would swim in there. And we would have floods every few years. And we have a huge stand of black box just outside of my bedroom window at my dad's place. I used to go to sleep looking at that. It hasn't been flooded in 12 years. And that's a concern because isn't a natural cycle there for a reason? Why are we disrupting that? Why are we making the water so toxic and so limited that black box trees might not be able to grow new stands regularly? What are we giving up and what are we getting for that? Is it worth it 
we're not getting enough for what's being taken from us. And I actually think that nothing, nothing could pay for what we are losing. No amount of money in the world. Absolutely, you can't put a price on the natural environment. And do, would you like to see governments held accountable and heads roll over what's being happening here on the Darling River and the Murray River? Absolutely. I think fundamentally these actions are illegal. They're against human rights, for one. Number two, who told these people they own the water? Who told these people they own the land? I'm pretty sure this has been through court already. I'm pretty sure Marbo took a stand once already. If he could do it, I think it's time. I think it's time for the people to get together. And I think it's time for a class action against our government, against our bureaucrats and our industry men. Actually, they're not ours. They're theirs. This nation never ceded sovereignty. This is our land. This is our water. The people here now. It's being stolen. It's not being sold. This is theft. It's being stolen. Would you like to have this theft of the water taken to the United Nations? Absolutely. Let's go. Are you rallying towards this as a strategy? This is definitely on the cards and has been discussed. This has been discussed by people in groups of my own age and of community groups around my town and around other towns. Every protest I attend, this legal matter comes up. This legality comes up. And there is a growing dissent within the population of Australia. Don't push us. Do you think that there could be war over this water? I think there's already war going on, and I think strategies within industry are prepared to take us on as a matter of war, as an act of war, this water being stolen. This is already a war. And a thirsty war at that. Who's going to be a voice for nature? They've got the Royal Commission happening now in South Australia. Who's going to go there and speak for the kangaroo and the emu and the goannas and the fish and all of the birds? By rights, every single Australian should be marching out of their front door right now. They should be gathering in groups and they should be making noise. And if you don't have legs, get on your computer, send an email, get on your phone, call up your local, get on the radio, call the newspapers. Everybody should be outraged and I don't understand why there isn't more noise being made right now but I know that it is building and I invite you to join in. I invite everybody who loves to fish, who loves to look at nature, anyone who likes to take photos, anyone who wants to paint, get out, do something now. This won't be here. Do something now. This is the strong voice of a young woman who grew up on the river, Catherine Milne, telling you people now, telling the listener, you've got to take direct action. Direct action gets results. I think we need a federal royal commission. 
we need a federal royal commission and we need a grassroots human movement. Thank you. Thanks. Very good. Thanks, Bunda. This is The Vanishing River, Voices from the Darling. Interviews with real people affected by ever-diminishing flows along Australia's iconic Darling River. The Vanishing River, Voices from the Darling, is produced by Earthling Studios at Grassy Head, New South Wales. Executive producer, Mark Merritt. Field coordinators and technical assistants by Susie Peake and Kath Eaglesham. Interviews by Mark Merritt and Kath Eaglesham. Voiceovers by Sally Hook. Please write to us with your feedback. Post Office Box 30, Stewart's Point, New South Wales, 2441. The darling is dying, please take my word. The Darling River and Menindee Lakes are in crisis. We are working hard to bring out and share the personal lived stories and facts surrounding the problem to the people of Australia and around the world. We aim to do this in plain language that everyone can understand. To find out more about issues and matters related to the Darling River, go to the Vanishing River website, www.thevanishingriver.com.au thevanishingriver.com.au You have been listening to Earth Matters. This edition was produced on the land of the Barkindji Nation for Radio 3CR in Nam, Melbourne, Wurundjeri country, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. If you'd like to get in touch with the Earth Matters team, you can email us at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or visit our Facebook on Earth Matters 3CR Radio. And to listen to or to share editions of Earth Matters, you can find this and all the Earth Matters podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. Look out for more from the Earth Matters team next week. I'm Beck Horridge. The music on today's show was by Tony Smith, The Dying Darling, from his Darling River Man album. All trees that are dying, leaves fall as their tears. They've lived amongst beauty for hundreds of years. Six stock that want water, wildlife dying near. No hope for my darling, the message is clear Won't someone please take me where I can be heard The darling is dying, please take my word